You're listening to the Growing Up Rock Podcast with your host, Stephen Michael and Sonny Hollywood Pooney. All right, so with age comes change, and I have no unearthly idea what we're doing in this episode, but by golly, we're going to fly by the seat of our pants, and we'll figure it out as we go, because we're almost to episode 100, so we figured for the listeners tonight, Hollywood, we would just basically let them ask us all kinds of questions. Our life is an open book. And we're going to try and answer those questions. And of course, the majority of this stuff is all based on the love of rock and roll. Am I right, baby? Uh, The majority is there's some stupid ass questions in this list. Well, by golly, we got stupid ass answers for them then, don't we? Yeah, we're going to open with a couple of stupid ones when we get there. (laughs) All right. So before we get into all this, because we got a shitload of questions, Sonny threw it out there on his uh, social media feed. And we all know that Hollywood has, you know, 453 billion followers. So they all asked a bunch of questions and we're going to do our best to go through them and answer as many as we can. But before we do all of that in true growing up rock fashion, we got to do this. It's time for the Crank It Up New Music Spotlight. All right. For the Crank It Up Spotlight, today we are going to feature the band The Treatment. I love this band. This band has just put out their fourth album called Power Crazy. And all four albums for me are fairly consistent records. The last record was really, really strong in my opinion. Generation Me. Love that album. Came out in 2016. Running with the Dogs, 2014. And then the first album I got was This Might Hurt. I saw them in 2011. They opened up for the Kiss and Motley Crue tour. And that's the first time that I'd ever heard of them. But check out this song, Rising Power. I just want to feel alive and kick you 
So I don't know much about the treatment, but uh, that new album, it's pretty good. It's got a shot to make my top 10, 20 list kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they've had a few problems in terms of singers. I think they've changed out singers two or three times, but uh, just a kick-ass rock band, man. They were really good when I saw them open up for Motley and Kiss, and uh, it was good enough for me to go out and get that record and loved them ever since. So, awesome. All right. Okay, so I went out on social media We reached out to the listeners and got a bunch of questions. Some are great. Some are interesting. Some will take us a while to answer probably, but we're going to do our best. So you ready? Absolutely. Hit me with your best shot. All right. The first one's a doozy from our buddy Brent from Podcast Rock City. He wants to know how do rocks grow and I have no clue. (laughs) See, I said ask any question and Brent took that literally. Well, Brent's smarter than both of us, so I, I expect him to answer that and let us know. Brent, I'll expect a essay uh, sent to me by email or via text that explains exactly how a rock grows. A rock can't possibly grow, right? I don't know. That doesn't sound right. No, that's incorrect. I'm going to say no, it doesn't. That's a trick question. Okay. Next question. David Hudson, our buddy. What is one album you would remix if you could? You know, for me, I got to say Hotter Than Hell. I don't like the production or the mix on Hotter Than Hell. Uh, So that's such a great album with such great songs. I would take a stab at getting that remixed. Yeah, that was actually the top one on my list, too. It's just, God, it's such great songs. Well, that's why. I mean, that's that's exactly what I think of. Like, I love that record. Hotter Than Hell has so many kick-ass songs, and I would love to hear them in, in great fashion. So that's the first thing that comes to mind. I'm, I'm sure if I thought about it, there'd be a lot more, but that one is at the top of my list. Yeah, the other one that comes to mind, Hotter Than Hell was talking about the Bon Jovi rockin' songs. 7800 Fahrenheit, that album needs another remix probably too. Yeah, you know, that's not a bad one. I'll, I'll uh, second that. Yeah. All right, talking about Potter Than Hell, the next question comes from our buddy Steve Wright. What are your two favorite metal albums today? Steve-O knows that this is a rotating list that happens on the minute that you ask that question. So two favorite metal albums for today. So I'm assuming he means metal or hard rock, right? Yeah, I would stay on the metal side, so I kind of stayed away from the hard rock side. All right. Well, I recently picked up two records that, for some reason, one of them I thought I had but did not have, and another one I just didn't have and didn't know much about it. So I picked them up, love them. Uh, One is Beast from the East, Dokken, that live record, the first uh, Beast from the East. I listened to that the other day, man, that record kicks ass. There's a lot of great material on that record. I really dig that one. Uh, And then another one is Dio's Killing the Dragon. It's an underrated record. You don't hear that much about that record when you talk about Dio's stuff, but that really is a great record, Killing the Dragon by Dio. There you go. All right, so my two, Wright's going to like one and hate one, but I don't really care. Um, my first one is Master of Puppets, baby. For metal, it has been one of my favorite albums of all time. 
And I will tell you, I really don't have any Desert Island albums that are metal, but Master of Puppets would be the closest one. And then uh, Disturbed 10,000 Fists. Love that album. Love, love, love it. Oh, my God. That band blows. That band does not blow. You guys yeah. blow. That's the problem. Uh, <laughs> that band's actually stinky. <laughs> nice. <laughs> but anyway, who who cares? Though? That that's that's what it is today. You asked today, and so that's what it is. Are you list? Have you listened to either one of those lately? Oh and yeah. That's why it's on the on your mind. Yeah, yeah. The other uh, one that popped in my head was uh, Iron Maiden, Peace of Mind. But I knew Steve would like that one, so that's why I said Disturbed. That's fair enough. Yeah. All right. Cool. All right. Next question. Tony Musalem, if you were traveling in a vehicle at the speed of light and you turned your headlights on, would they do anything? That's kind of like if uh, a tree falls in the forest and no one's around to hear it, will they hear it, right? Something like that? Uh, something like that. Um, yeah, I think they would create sort of that cone-shaped vortex like when the Millennium Falcon gets ready to jump to hyperspeed. That's what I think would happen. There you go. Wow. Okay, Tony, you're, you know me well. I don't have a clue what the hell he just said, so I'm going to say it doesn't do anything. You're welcome. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> All right, back to some of the serious questions. Uh, we got a couple of Canadian questions, and they're a little bit different. So Kalen Provo reached out. What are your two favorite albums from a Canadian band and why? So I will start on this one. I love Loverboy's big ones. I know it's the greatest hits, but damn – there is not a bad song on that Greatest Hits album. And that's not true for every Greatest Hits album out there. And I remember when I first heard Loverboy, I liked some of it. I didn't like some of it. But by the time 8990 rolled around and that album came out, that was the way for me. And then uh, I actually loved this band called Alias. They had a self-titled album out in 1990. It's actually a Desert Island album for me. It is incredible. You probably know that song, uh, Say What I Want to Say, or possibly uh, More Than Words Could Say, but they were two pretty big hits. They they were kind of one and done. They released another album uh, just a few years ago, but it was an album that was like put on the shelf and finally re-released kind of thing. But uh, I would say Alias, their self-titled album, and Loverboy, Big Ones. Wow. This is a very, very tough question for me. I don't even know that I can actually answer it, but I'm going to take a shot at answering it. So I'm going to have to say rush all the world's a stage because they're a Canadian band. And probably that's like, you know, rush is an expected answer for anybody that talks Canadian, but I assure you there's a lot of other Canadian bands I like that aren't called rush or triumph <laughs> or lover boy. Another one that's, Probably at the top of my list is No Rest for the Wicked, Helix. That was a huge record in my youth. And I'm going to throw a bonus in there with Kick-Axe Vices. Stop your motor, people. 
the answer of why I like all three of those albums is because they were so important to me when I was growing up in high school. And I just love them. They're great albums, start to finish. So that's my answer. That's good. All right. Next question from Amber Kate, our buddy Amber. How about your favorite guitarist, favorite bass player, drummer, and vocalist of all time? Don't worry about the keyboard players because we all know nobody cares about them and nobody needs that in a band. That's not very nice. (laughs) Want to take a wild guess what instrument I played when I was in the band? The one that nobody cares about. Thank you. All right. So fave guitarist, bass player, drummer, and vocalist. You want to go first? Well, the one thing I do want to ask before we get into this is when you were playing keyboards, did you have a skinny uh, tie no, and I a did flock not. of seagulls haircut? No, I did not. Please say you had a flock I, of seagulls I did haircut. Not. I did Please, not. I think you did. I'm going to dig out those pictures. They're out there somewhere. Okay, if you didn't have that, did you have a big fro? Uh, no, it was more of a mullet. <laughs> well, that might be kind of funny. All right. Uh, so favorite, uh, guitar player, let's start there. It's just one of each. Is that the deal? Yeah. One of each. Yeah. I think it's pretty easy. Anybody that listens to our show knows that I'm going to go Eddie Van Halen for my favorite guitar player. I mean, it just is what it is. Bass player. That's so tough. There's a lot of great bass players. I'm just going to go off the top of my head and say, Billy Sheehan. What's next singer, you know? In terms, I'm going to give you two singers because I'm going to give you one in terms of uh, vocals and I'm going to give you one in terms of just showmanship. And uh, David Lee Roth is just the best showman ever. In terms of voice, I'm going to go, I'm going to go Rob Halford and drummer Neil Peart, period, end of story. And for a solid rock drummer, I'm going to go Phil Rudd. There you go. All right. Uh, For me, guitarist is easy. It's always been Steve Vai. Bass player, Kenley Wolf, the guy who was in Lord Tracy. Just awesome. Yeah, he's awesome. Uh, singer, I've made no bones about it. Milyanko Matijevich has never changed. And then drummer, might be a surprise for uh, you, but uh, it's actually Eric Carr. Yeah, all right. Yeah. I ain't mad at you. Yeah. Um, awesome. All right. Jason Kearney asks, favorite concert attended or memory from a concert? Okay. So I'm going to give you both of those. My favorite concert I ever attended was Dio, either The Last in Line or Sacred Heart. Both were amazing. It was just such an amazing show. The special effects, especially back then, uh, they were really killer. Favorite memory, I have two. One was the very first rock concert that I ever attended, Van Halen, on the Diver Down Tour. I remember being about 10 rows back on the floor, standing room only, in front of Eddie Van Halen, and I remember them opening up with the spotlight hitting Eddie and him busting into the uh, Romeo's Delight riff and David Lee doing a roundhouse kick over his head. (laughs) Hands down. The, uh, I was changed forever at that point in time in terms of rock and roll. And then some of my favorite memories deal with me running to the front of the barricade at these concerts, uh, early on where it was standing room only. You have to get to the arena by, uh, noon or one o'clock and stand in line. And when they opened the doors at, you know, 
five o'clock or whatever time they opened the doors, you would haul ass down to the front and you would be on the barrier for the entire before the concert and then through all the opening acts. And I can just remember hanging out on that barrier, getting crushed and just talking to all the music fans, you know, that were around me. And those were some of my favorite memories from those days. Yeah, I'll give you both too. So favorite concert attended, hands down, Prince at a club. Like we saw him in a club in San Francisco, five, 600 people. The place was jammed. It was just him and Third Eye Girl. He was doing his own mixing. There was no opener. They sold no alcohol. They didn't do any uh, licensing of product, nothing. You got water and you got a show. Two and a half to three hours solid. Incredible. Six years ago, I can't believe it was six years ago. Memory from a concert. I got a bunch, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share one. Uh, Slim's San Francisco, again, a club. In this moment opened and Hailstorm um, actually headlined. And in this moment, which probably nobody knows, and Hailstorm, which I talk about all the time, but having my middle daughter sitting right next to me in the balcony and her watching her first show, there was just something about that that I could share that with her that is very, very special. So it's awesome. Yeah. Cool. All right. Amber Kate had another question. Best album cover art of all time. That one is tough. God, yeah. I mean, I can give you albums that influenced me based on what the cover art was. I I don't know if I can speak to what the best album art is of all time, but the albums that come to mind that influenced me early on were probably Iron Maiden Killers. That influenced me hugely with that album. And then pick an Iron Maiden cover because they're all fucking awesome. Yeah, I was going to do the same thing because I was going to pick somewhere in time. But I'll I'll tell you one that's off the beaten path, Pretty Maid's Future World. It is an awesome album cover. And is lots it? of color, lots of green, um, really futuristic. It's a really cool album cover. I think Back in Black's probably historic. <laughs> nice. <laughs> oh, what? That's not a great album cover? My bad. <laughs> uh, isn't it just black? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> None more black. I like uh, like some more recent records. I think the ad- uh, Adrenaline Mob record covers are pretty cool. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. You know, so there's there's cool album covers out there. It's just not, you know, I mean, I'm not a purchaser of albums. I'm a downloader and a CD guy, so I don't see as much of it as I used to. But All right, we'll do this one together. It'll be funner. Jason Kearney asks, if you could put a super group together, who would it be comprised of? So let's do a singer, a bass player. We'll do two guitarists, a drummer, and a keyboardist. Dude, didn't you listen to Amber K earlier? Nobody cares about keyboardists. No, no, no. We're going to do this, right? <laughs> so, you know, I'll pick a singer, guitar player, and keyboardist. You pick the bass player, the other guitar player, and the drummer. How about that? That's fair. Does that work? Okay, singer, yeah. Jeff Scott Soto. Okay. Go for a guitar player. Oh, just go ahead and name your guys. All right. So I want Jeff Scott Soto as my singer, as my guitar player. Hmm. I'm going to go with Paul Gilbert. And as my keyboard player, I'm going to go with Greg Jufria. Okay. Do they have to be living? No. Okay. 
So you picked Paul Gilbert for your guitar player, so I'm going to pick Malcolm Young for my guitar player because I want a kick-ass rhythm guitar player behind Gilbert. So that's my guitar player because you already got a shredder. I don't need two of them. And then bass player is going to be Tom Hamilton from Aerosmith. And my drummer is going to be Tommy Aldridge on drums. All right, so we got Soto... Hamilton, Gilbert, Aldridge, Greg Jufria. Oh, and we got Malcolm Young. That's an interesting band. <laughs> I have no clue what that's going to sound I, like. I'm not even sure they could have dinner together. I'm not even sure. <laughs> there you that's go, just... Jason. You asked for it. <laughs> All right, so this one's a fun one. Bill Algie says, who is an artist you never got to see that you would give your left nut to see? Now, I'm not exactly sure. I asked him a follow-up question, but he didn't answer me. I'm like, does it have to be my left nut? I guess it has to be your left nut for some reason. I got an extra nut, so this is a <laughs> win-win proposition for me. <laughs> and I'm not sure one nut's more important than the other, so nice. left nut, right nut, whatever. Nice. So what's it going to be? First of all, does it have to be an active band? I don't think so. Okay. For me, there's no doubt it'd be Jimi Hendrix. God, man, that's really fucking tough. Part of me says that I'd love to see the Beatles. Part of me says that I'd love to see Led Zeppelin. Uh, so probably one of those, I think. Well, you got a shot at Led Zeppelin still, kind of. No. Well, it's not. No. It's not Led Zeppelin without John Bonham. Oh, okay. And those guys are never getting back together anyway, so. No, pass. All right, next question. Grayson Gallegos has two. First one is, what album recording session would you like to have been a witness to? So I started, when I read that question, I'm like, so what albums do I absolutely love that were probably very, like, crazy in the band's life? You know what I mean? Like, they were, like, at each other's throats. But I absolutely loved the album. And the only one I could come up with was Kiss Love Gun. Like, those guys had to be at each other's throats by then. See, I would go the opposite way. Like, I would want to be part of a recording where the band has had success and then it's all just sex, drugs, and rock and roll in the studio. I mean, if you believe the Doors movie, Jim Morrison's getting blowjobs in the uh, vocal booth. So, you know, that's not a bad uh, recording session to be <laughs> I part <guess> of. Not. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so there's that. So, I mean, if I'm going to be part of a recording session, I'd rather it be sex, drugs, and rock and roll as opposed to uh, tension. That's just me. Yeah, that's fair. And I can do it without the drugs part. Just give me the, uh, you know, a couple shots of liquor, some good rock and roll, and, you know, naked women. Nothing wrong with that. Still love you, honey. <laughs> nice. <laughs> All right. The second question Grayson Gallegos had was, what band do you feel should have been huge that never quite made it? Pick a band in 1989 or 90 or 91. There's a ton of them. What comes to mind for you when you first uh, think about that? Like Dawkins was one step away. They could have been Def Leppard. They were like one step away, it seems like. Yeah. I mean, bands like Dawkins and Tesla, they had success, but I don't consider that they were huge, but they certainly could have been. 
Uh, there's no doubt about it. I think a band like Coney Hatch from Canada could have had some really good success if they'd had uh, the right push here and there. You know, they had some great songs. Uh, so that's another band that could have had some great success that probably nobody has ever heard of. Yeah, that's true. Uh, next question's from Stephen Edmondson. How much wood could a woodchuck chuck if the woodchuck was Gene Simmons? A shitload. That dude is driven in anything he does. So let's face it. If Gene Simmons is a woodchuck and he's got to chuck some wood, that dude's going to chuck some wood. I believe in it. Agreed. Agreed. All right. Peter Cessary, one artist you really liked and you have never seen, had the chance to go, but didn't. And now they're deceased and you are shit out of luck. So you had a shot to go. Like we're, we've been hearing stories from uh, other podcasts. I have at least. It's like, oh man, I could have went and saw Tom Petty, but I decided not to. And he died three days later. Yeah. You know, for me, I don't know that there's anything like that. I think one band that I regret not seeing that I can't see anymore, and this is probably a shock, but I would have liked to have seen it, is Nirvana. Because certainly I was around at the time that the band was touring. I just never, uh, that was around about the same time that I was spending a lot of my time on the road. So I never got to see them, but I heard some amazing things from people that did see them. So that's probably an easy one for me. I've seen a lot of other, you know, bands, uh, except for some of the old ones. And of course I would have never had the chance to see any of the really older ones, like, you know, the Zeppelins or the Hendrix or any of that stuff. Right. Yeah. I've not really run into this. I haven't, uh, I mean, there's bands that I wish I could have seen like quiet riot, 84, 85. Like I wasn't really in the concert scene yet, but that could have been very, very interesting because they were so hot. I ended up seeing a version of Quiet Riot later, but it wasn't the same. But yeah, I haven't really been in this situation. Now that Prince is gone, now I wish I would have seen Prince every chance I would have got to see him. And I only saw him like three or four times, but I probably had 10 or 15 chances. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I saw Quiet Riot back in the day, so that one's off my bucket list. Yeah. All right, Buddy Baker asks, what are some of your favorite back patches that you had on your jean jackets as teenagers? All right, so Buddy, I didn't wear a denim jacket, so I didn't have patches. I wore leather, so I had buttons. So I love this Y&T button I had. I still have it. It's from uh, the Omni in 1988 because they gave buttons to everybody who showed up that day. I used to have a button that said, uh, put a, j a stiffy on your jiffy or something like that. Um, and then, you know, it was the late eighties. So I'm sure I had like buttons that were like pink and some were neon green, but I was a leather wearer, not a denim jacket wearer. How about you? Uh, I'm the same. I was not a, uh, I wore some denim jackets, but I didn't have a bunch of patches. I don't even know that I would have known where to get them to be honest, uh, back in those days. So. You know, I can remember I had this one jean jacket, but I didn't have any band patches. I had like these, you know, Air Force patches and Army patches and just different things like that. I kind of remember that jacket a little bit. 
All right. Jeff Reed had two great questions. These will be two interesting ones. First one, do you think Rat died when Robin Crosby died? I didn't think that at first, but the more and more that I read, you know, I read Piercy's book and the more and more that I see what's going on uh, and hear various stories, I think that that may actually be true. Because I think I think two things. I think he was the glue that held that band together. And I also think that he was uh, a very key writer in that band, which I didn't think I always knew till more recently. So, uh, yes. And that's not to take away from uh, an album like Infestation, which I thought was a great rat record that they put out. So there you go. Yeah, I would have to agree with you. Uh I didn't think that at the time, but now, and I was always a Martini fan. I never really knew how much Robin did until he was gone. So yeah. I would agree with that. And then the other question he had was, do you think Def Leppard died when Steve Clark died? I think Leppard was headed down a path anyway. So, you know, I mean, you can listen. I didn't love Hysteria. I mean, I really did not love Hysteria. So I think Def Leppard was kind of headed down a certain path anyway. I think more of the question might have been, do you think Def Leppard died when Pete Willis left the band? Because I think Pete Willis was more of the rock influence in that band. Uh, And that's not to take away from Pyromania, which, you know, I mean, I go back and forth with Pyromania and High and Dry being my favorite all-time Def Leppard records, but that's kind of the way I see it. So I, I think Leppard would have been continuing down the path they went, even if Steve Clark was still alive. Yeah, I don't think Leppard died when Steve Clark died. I think what Leppard has done a poor job of is let Vivian be Vivian. Like if they if they got the D.O. Vivian, Def Leppard's different. Yeah, I think if Vivian would have bought more of a rock element to the band, it would have been different. But, you know, Vivian's always liked pop stuff. So I think he he was a good fit for the band where the band wanted to head. And let, let's face it, that band is run by Joe and Sab. So the band's going to do what those guys want to do. And uh, uh, that's what it's doing. So... You know, and I like some of the stuff they put out. Don't get me wrong, but I would much rather have Pyromania and High and Dry. All right, before we go on, let's do this. Everyone's got a rock and roll story to tell, and we want to hear yours. So go to our website at growinguprock.com. That's one word, G-R-O-W-I-N-U-P-R-O-C-K.com. Or visit us on our Facebook page at Growing Up Rock and tell us all about it. Okay, so Growing Ups of the Week, these are all the folks that shared us on Facebook, retweeted us on Twitter, and recently liked our Facebook page. And there's a uh, surprise at the end because I don't know if you've seen this yet. So here are the folks. Kurt Coolidge, Tony Masalam, Backstage Auctions, Rick Friel, Mr. Happy Nash, Veronica of Divide, Lady Lake PR, Ogata, Save Rock and Metal, Bill Algy, Evelyn, Bumgartner, Scott Liefer, Mike Taylor, Brian Knapp, Robert Armstrong, Music Palace Radio, Trace Mess 469, Dwayne Adams, David Clegg, Jared Frank, Digital Kill the Radio Star, Spitfire, 
Tom Gigliotti, Oasis Mountain, Bella Lowe's 1966, Bossung, Paul Young, Stoney Deerduff, Tommy Vickdahl, Stanley Lives for You, Tammy Krosko Gordiano, Andy LaFon, Jason Kearney, Chris Sinzak, Rock Doc Wayne, Derek Tari, Sebi Rocco Abadi, Ages of Rock Podcast, Jade Sabluski, David Hudson, Chris Fretwell, Michelle Ortiz, Eladio, Steffi, Cobras of Fire Podcasts, Jeffrey Lavelle, Danny Elam, Jim Harris, Q Nuevo Media, Tracy Hazelwood, Bill Elam, Jake Loveless, Daryl Alber, David Cathy, Dan Nation, Craig Osborne, Despel Geek, Daniela Carr, Steve Wright, Tracy Brock Dunford, Jeff Jankowski, Marilyn Wager Keefe, Shout It Out Loud Cast, Alexander Ford, John McMahon, Michael Langan II, Peter Harris, Chris Deal, Peter Cessary, Tammy Coffey, Mike Parnell, Craig Gonzalez, Debbie Hatcher Thomas, Brad Rustoven, Chris James A., I Love It Loudcast, Jason Alexander, Tanya Ling, Alan Tate, Jeff Reed, Caleb Provo, David Zanet, Mark Arnold, Mark Winder 8, Nicole Beard, Doug Metal, Kerry Morgan, West Dove, Restrained, who lets us uh, use all the music for the bumpers and stuff. And then today, Andrew Freeman retweeted us. Yeah, I saw that. So that's very cool. I saw that Andrew Friedman uh, tweeted us, and I think uh, uh, Jimmy Danda uh, shared the Mick Sweda episode as well. So uh, thanks to Andrew and Jimmy from Lies, Deceit, and Treachery, recently sharing the Mick Sweda episode. We had a great time talking to Mick. And thanks to everybody that listens and shares. Listen, we love you guys for listening. We love you guys even more for listening and sharing, and we would absolutely love you guys if you guys would take three or four minutes out, go to iTunes store and leave us a review, go to Podchaser, leave us a review, go to our Facebook page, leave us a recommendation, any of those things. If you guys can help us out, we greatly appreciate those things because they help us out in the long run, and that's what it's all about getting the word of rock and roll out there. And of course, we're available on Spotify now and any of your great podcast platforms. So there you go. Thanks, you guys. Back to the questions. Jay Sabluski, what is the one band that is on that desert island with you? So now we're on the desert island and forget about the albums. You get to take a band with you. Oh, God. Mine's a piece of cake. There's not even a question. Okay. Because they have three albums on my Desert Island album list, it's Y&T the whole way.
was thinking more from a practical standpoint. I'm thinking maybe I should take that band, The Offspring, with me. I think one of those dudes is like a rocket scientist oh, or something. Oh, Jesus. You're trying to get off the island. I'm just trying to enjoy my few days I got left. <laughs> you think you're going to die that quick? It's a deserted <laughs> island. You think you're going to get off there and have like Hawaiian tropic models all over you? No, but I'd like to build a hammock and spend several years a la Swiss Family Robinson. Eating coconuts. Why not? Oh, I'd rather take a pen in the eye. Oh, my God. No way. It's like being on vacation for a long period of time without TV and, you know, other things. <laughs> no way. I don't know. Let's see. Which band would I like to take? Well, David Lee Roth always keep me entertained if we, <laughs> if we took him, but he might get on our nerves. Uh, let's see. Who else? Who would be just good company? I would have to have somebody fairly humorous with us. Terry Glaze. We could take our friend Terry Glaze with us. <laughs> we just, we have to have some wine, though. Well, if we want wine, then we definitely got to bring Dave with us. Dave Menachetti. I mean, dude knows his wine, right? Oh, that's true. That's true. <laughs> we could take Dave Menachetti because he knows his wine. We could bring, like, Dave Ellison because he knows coffee because he has his own coffee, I think. <laughs> Nice. And we could take, uh, there's got to be like a celebrity chef uh, musician out there. Wow. Okay, now now Jay's sorry he asked that question. All well, right. you asked it. Yeah, nice. <laughs> Bill Elam asks, if you had a choice between buying Vinnie Vincent tickets or making a sandwich, how much mail would you use? Uh, Bill, that's easy. I'm an extra mail guy, so uh, give me some extra mail. I'm taking double meat, double cheese, and extra mayo. Because I'd much rather spend my money at Subway. Uh, I can tell you for free, I would dine in Dash before I would buy a Vinnie Vincent ticket. <laughs> <laughs> in, in ages of rock fashion. Vinnie Vincent, you want to be on our show? <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> nice. I wouldn't have that. I'm telling you right now, I would not have that dude on my show, whether you believe it or not. There's no freaking way. That guy's a train wreck. <laughs> don't worry he's not gonna show up yeah even if he agreed to <laughs> Eladio had a similar question to what we already answered he asked uh, what was one concert you wish you could have attended so we kind of already said that one all right this is very interesting daryl alber asks do you think kiss fans would differ on their mostly accepting stance towards paul's use of vocal enhancements if this was just another tour and not the end of the road tour. So what Daryl's asking is people are starting to give Paul, like I am, the license to use the enhancements because we're on a last tour and we want to remember Paul like we remember him. But what if it wasn't their last tour? Would it be okay? That's a real simple answer for me. Yeah, the answer for me is yes, it's okay. I don't have a problem with it. I'm tired of hearing about it, and I'm going to try not to get on my soapbox about this whole thing because it's real easy for me to get on a soapbox. But the dude is, however old he is, was he 67 or something? I mean, he's up there in age, and I would much rather pay money to go see a show and hear a decent show because, again, they're not playing a freaking cassette tape and lip-syncing everything. There are live guitars, there are live drums, there's live bass, and there are live vocals. He's getting a lift, and he's getting help. 
Paul's damned if you do, damned if you don't. Kiss fans are going to complain no matter what. If he comes out and says, hey, I'm getting help, and he's upfront about it, people are going to complain about that. If he doesn't say anything and denies it and says, hey, I'm not getting help, people are going to complain about that. So you know what? Kudos to you guys for still out there carrying the flag for rock and roll. Cheers. I enjoyed the show. Next. I'm with you. I I just do not want people that I enjoyed my entire life on tape and live, because I've seen Kiss many, many, many times, uh, go out in flames. I don't want that. Now, if Paul can't move around and he can't be the showman that he once was, then I would probably have a bigger problem with that. It's like, all right, Paul, give it up because it's supposed to be a show too and you can't do that anymore, so that's it. We're done. But uh, I don't care about the vocal enhancements. I bring them on. I don't care. Okay. Never have. Uh, Rick Friel, what if Kiss had never made Destroyer? It seems to me that was the end of what Kiss was and the beginning of what the band is now. So to Rick, Destroyer put them in a different spot. It's not the same as those first three albums. So what if there was never a Destroyer? And it's very possible, right? Kiss didn't sell the first three albums well. If it wasn't for a live, they could have been dropped by the record company. I mean, a lot of different things could have happened. So I do believe Destroyer was a change for them. Bob Ezrin, uh, I'm with Mark Anthony. I don't like Bob Ezrin, basically. I, not in Kiss. Uh, do what you want to do with Alice Cooper. I think some of that stuff's awesome, but I didn't like Bob Ezrin touching my Kiss. I think Destroyer was a necessary record, whether it was a good record or not. I mean, I like several songs on it. I don't like everything on it. I think the band wouldn't be the band today without Destroyer because they wouldn't have this mega hit, Beth, which helped elevate them. It helped give them growth. So the door was opened with the first Alive, but the door was kicked in with Destroyer. And that elevated them to the heights that they were. And if correct me if I'm wrong, but the next two records, which I absolutely love, Love Gun and Rock and Roll Over, right? Those are the next two records, right? Yeah, the other order, but yeah. Yeah, the, yeah, right. But the those two records were actually not considered hugely successful records based on Destroyer numbers. Is that correct? I don't know about that. I don't know about that. Uh, Love Gun sold really, really well. I don't, I don't remember about Rock and Roll Over. Yeah, I mean, I may be wrong. I'm not 100% sure, so KISS uh, fanatics and experts, feel free to chime in. What I'm basically saying is that based on the numbers that Destroyer did, the two records that came after that were not considered as successful. So that's that's all I'm trying to say there. So I think that Destroyer was a necessary record. It gave us Detroit Rock City, so that in itself is amazing, right? Not to mention several other great songs, but there you go. Yeah, it also gave us great expectations. So yeah, whatever. Listen, you don't you're not gonna get an argument out of me about that song. I can't stand that song, but I love Detroit Rock City and what else is on that record? I, I like Sweet Pain. And then King of the uh, Nighttime World, King of the Nighttime World, love it, you know. So I mean, there's great shit on that record for sure. God of Thunder. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. All right. So Mark Musalam, 
good old friend, and I know a new friend to you. What 80s band do you absolutely hate that so many seem to love? And what 80s band that most have not heard of do you love as much as the band that people love that you hate? So in other words, that was an interesting way to ask the question. Maybe I didn't read it right. But an 80s band that you hate that everybody else seems to love and an 80s band that you love that nobody's ever really heard of and how could that be possible? Yeah, see, that's that's hard for me because I'm not great with what year what band came out. So that's going to be really tough for me. Um, Don't do 80s. Just do anything. He said for him, the band that he hates that everybody seems to love is Pat Faster Pussycat. And the one he loves that nobody seems to know is Babylon AD. Yeah, I like Babylon OD. I like Faster Pussycat to a degree. I mean, I, I really loved Wake Me When It's Over. thought that was a great record, but. If you have yours, feel free to go. I just don't know. I won't label them at a, at a, as an 80s band. I just don't understand Rush. I just don't get it. And everybody seems to love them. And I've tried. I just can't. I, I'm sorry. Guys, send me your hate mail to sunnyhatesrush.com. I don't know. But I just I, I can't do it. And uh, from a 80s band that I love that uh, – Nobody else seems to give the time of day is House of Lords. Like for some reason, you never hear about them. And they were so good. And they still are good. Yeah. Uh, I like them. I mean, for sure. Probably an 80s band I would have expected to be bigger, which this isn't really the question, but I loved them. They just didn't have a lot of huge success. And I've said it time and time again, is Black and Blue. I mean, I liked a lot of their stuff and for whatever reason, they just never connected. And some people still today are like, meh, you know, but I don't know. I liked them. Always have liked them. But an 80s band that I didn't like, and I'm sure there must have been many, but it's just none are coming to mind right now. I'm trying to go through my iTunes catalog, which takes forever because there's so much shit in here to see if anything like you know comes up and tweaks my head and goes oh yeah i didn't really care that much for them but one that was a lot of west coast guys like vain i never got into vain either you know i'll second that i will second that and i heard from a lot of people that love them on the ship and they were like you really you gotta see this band you gotta see them and i did i went and saw them and i you know they're energetic and that was fine, but music wise, I don't necessarily know that I got it, you know? So, yeah, that's just kind of a hard question. I would have to think about that for much longer than we have. Okay. Save rocket metal gave us a lightning round. You ready? Uh, yeah. I like the lightning rounds. Yeah. All right. No thinking. Beatles or stones? Beatles for me. Or stones for me. Maiden or priest? That is an absolutely tough one for me. That's that's literally down the middle uh, for me. You have to pick because, a side, dude. Well, here's here's the problem. I don't want to hear commentary. Pick a side. I know what your side is going to be. I'll go the other way. I'll go priest. I'll go me. I knew you would. <laughs> and it's and it's. But that is that is seriously a tough question. I mean, that might be one of the all time tough questions because it is down the middle. Both bands have periods of their career that I don't care that much about. 
but both bands have a majority of shit that I absolutely there. It's in my top 10. Both bands are in my top 10 of all time. Seventies or eighties, Paul Stanley. Seventies. I take eighties all day. Marvel or DC? Uh, Marvel. All right. So I'm a DC guy. Shit. We were opposite on all four of those. So anyway, Marvel and DC, I will tell you that if you are a comic book fan, you should have a Marvel fave and a DC fave. Do you have a Marvel and a DC fave? Uh, here's my here's my deal with, with comic books, uh, and you can freak out and send your hate mail, but to be honest, I was never hugely into comics. Here's, here's my history with comics. When I was a kid, I used to collect these uh, comic book cups that you would get Slurpees in at 7-Eleven. And I had a bunch of them. And so that's how I know about like comic book heroes like The Flash and Green Lantern and Power Man and Wonder Woman, all these people, right? It gave their backstory on the back, their origin story on the back. And they were awesome cups. So you can't deny DC with Batman and Superman and those two alone carry that franchise and with marvel you know what not marvel dc i was always a huge flash fan so my favorite dc is the flash my favorite marvel is uh i don't know there's so many i'll go wolverine love the wolverine my favorite dc green lantern i know the movie sucked sorry and my favorite marvel the punisher baby (laughs) yeah I like Punisher. The other question Save Rock and Metal had was, how can others get a podcast started? First thing that popped into my head was, you got to have some passion, you got to put some time into it, and then come to the Rocket Pod in uh, August. Yeah, I, I did see that question beforehand, and I would absolutely tell anybody that's out there interested in getting a podcast going to come to Rock and Pod because they're doing a lot this year with educating people on podcast. The other thing I would tell you is that anybody can basically do a podcast and that's true. You can do a podcast. Anybody can do them and anybody does do them. Here's the thing. There's a lot of podcasts out there that are just pure shit. I mean, there's no time spent, no thought given to recording techniques, the audio quality, how it sounds, and it's just shit. And to me, the first thing that any podcast needs to have is decent audio quality. Because if it sounds like shit, no matter what the content is, I personally, I don't want to listen. And I've turned off, I've turned off certain episodes from pretty well-known podcasters because their quality on that particular episode was shit. And it surprised me. So I would absolutely tell people, you know, do your homework. And if you're going to do a podcast, do it right. Because you can definitely do it right for not a lot of money. But do it right. That's all I would tell you. And good luck to anybody out there because they are work. They are not just two seconds a week and, uh, you know, recording a bunch of people talking about music or whatever it is that you're doing. So it definitely takes more time and effort than that. There you go. Yeah. My two cents on that again is, uh, it's fun to do. 
There is absolutely no doubt about that. You make some new friends. There's absolutely no doubt about that. You get to talk about something you really love. There's no doubt about that. I've only edited like three episodes. Oh my God. That it it is a labor of love because you you're talking about something you really love and you want it to come across right. So then you start being a perfectionist on the editing. Oh my God. Then I lost the edit a couple of times because of stupid audacity and just that part has been a lot of work and I didn't realize how much work it was. So yeah, there's a passion involved in it for sure. People talk about me talking slow on this podcast. It is hard damn work doing editing to make me sound this slow. So piss (laughs) off everybody. (laughs) Just speed up your track. Uh, somebody uh, somebody actually said that to me, and it's like, yeah, okay. <laughs> All right, Peter Harris, our buddy Peter. George Lynch continues to put out a ton of new material. Do you think it's as good as his classic Dokken output? Peter says he thinks most of it is. I love you, Peter. I don't think so. The Lynch mob is hit and miss for me. There's albums I love. There's albums I can't stand. The Sweet Lynch stuff. I love Michael Sweet. About half of it's really good. About half of it's just meh. Uh, Shadow Train. Uh, the, so I, I don't know. Lynch, he's just doing too much stuff. So here's what I would say. I would never fault a musician for going out there and earning a living. And obviously nowadays they have to earn a living. The only way they can do that is by playing in multiple projects that's how they earn a living so i got no problem anymore with him playing in as many projects as he wants to play i hate it when he puts out something good and i'll never have the chance to see it live because they don't play live so i don't like that and i think it's like anything else he does stuff that i love and stuff that i'm like meh don't care that much about i mean if you've ever listened to that he did a project called souls of we which is completely different than most of the shit he does. I mean, it was almost kind of alternative. It was different. I mean, there was some good stuff on it. It was just different for sure. But I like a lot of the other stuff. I, I like the end game uh, record that he just put out. Yeah, to me, the, the grease on the joystick was just right in Dawkins back for the attack. Under lock and key, back for the attack. Somewhere in there. Even you could throw tooth and nail in there. That's when the grease was perfect. After that, Lynch did some stuff that was cool. Dawkins did some stuff that was cool, but it'll never be like it was those three or four years. I don't think so. Uh, I consider, I have to listen to it more recently, but I think probably Wicked Sensations, almost a Desert Island record for me. That's a great record. It's a good record. It's not Desert Island. It's not Dawkins back for the attack for me. That, yeah. that one's Desert. Save Rock and Metal asks a very interesting question. Who retires first, Alice Cooper or the Scorpions? Uh, this is going to be a pretty easy thing. I think Alice is probably, he's got a few years on the Scorpions, right, in terms of age? Ooh, I don't Do know, you know about that. Kloss and Alice might be about the same. Rudy's got to be right there. Okay. Well, I kind of thought maybe he had some years on him, but if I got to pick somebody that's going to retire first, I actually think it'll be the Scorpions. And the reason I say that is because Alice is just Alice and he surrounds himself with amazing younger players. And all he's got to do is get out there and sing 
And, you know, he's not running around and freaking out and doing all kinds of stuff. Whereas the Scorpions, they're pretty high energy. It's all of them. There's a band, you know, and they're playing loud, aggressive music, uh, except for when they play their shitty ballads. But <laughs> I'm just saying that I think if I had, uh, you know, wager, I would, I would think that uh, the Scorpions would be the first to uh, retire. Yeah, that's a good take on it because Alice 
he can take anybody he wants, right? But if Klaus or Rudy or Matthias now say, I don't want to do it anymore, Scorpion's basically over. Yeah. Right? So, uh, yeah, I would say Scorpion's probably first. Uh, Stanley Lives For You asks, what are your thoughts on the deal hologram? I'm going to go see it because it's coming to my town. My thoughts on it are, uh, and I may have said this on another episode, I don't remember. We've talked about it briefly before. You know, if they keep the prices reasonable, which it is reasonable here, I think it's like 45 bucks. It's in a great venue, which I love, and that helps if you're going to see it in a great venue. It's live music, so I'm getting the band, uh, Craig Goldie and those guys playing the Dio tunes, and I love the music. And as long as they have a couple of great singers like Ripper and Oni singing the tunes, then why not? It's an evening of rock and roll. And if they roll out the Dio hologram on a couple of songs, okay, it's the cherry on top. I'm curious to see it. So I'm okay with that. But the bonus for me is that Love Hate's opening up. So I get Jizzy Pearl, Love Hate. And that for 45 bucks is a win-win situation for me. That's my thought. Yeah, and I've said it before. I'm going to go check it out because this is a way to bring Hendrix back. It's a way to bring Prince back. If it has any type of viability to it, I got to go at least check it out. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, as long as I'm getting a live band playing music, I'm okay. Because here's, here's the thing is that I pay to see tribute bands all the time. As long as they're a good tribute band and they play the music like they should, I mean, I, I go see a Journey tribute band that's around here that plays all the time. I go see a Foreigner tribute band that's around here that plays all the time, even though the actual Foreigner is kind of a tribute band, whatever. But, you know, because it's great music and the band is playing the music well and they keep those prices reasonable, then I'm, I'm in. Now, I'm not going to pay, you know, 150 bucks to see a Dio hologram or a Hendrix hologram or a Prince hologram, I would never pay that. I wouldn't pay that to to see the actual probably because I just think ticket prices are getting ridiculous. Piss on paying a hundred bucks for a ticket and another fifty dollars in service charges. Um, with you there, with you there. All right, Stanley lives for you. Also asks, oh, you're gonna love this question. If you met Eddie Van Halen tomorrow, what is the one question you would absolutely have to ask him? You know, I don't know. I don't even know that I've ever thought about that because meeting anybody in Van Halen for me, that's like somebody meeting, you know, I don't know. That that would be tough for me. I would be nervous around that because Eddie was it for me growing up. So I have no idea. I'd have to give that a lot of thought. I can't spew out some question. Uh, and I don't think I'm going to come up with some miracle question that somebody hasn't asked him already, uh, in, you know, the 30 plus years, 40 years, whatever career that he's had. So I don't know. How do you think he would answer Eddie? Do you wish you could go do 1984 over again and take the keyboards out? (laughs) He would answer it. No, I mean, I, I already know the answer to that. I would, you know what, here's what I would ask him. I would ask him if it ever sinks into him the impact that he's had on the modern guitar player. You know, I would ask him if he, if he understands that impact that he's had 
And if so, you know, how, do, how does he feel about something like that? Because when you really sit back as a musician, if you really sit back and think about the influence and impact Edward Van Halen has had on hard rock and the modern, when I say modern day guitar player, I'm talking anybody in the 80s and, and beyond, right? It's quite impressive. I mean, it really is quite impressive. I think Jimmy Page can probably identify with that same question, but guys like Hendrix that had this huge influence, they weren't really around long enough to kind of soak that in. You know what I mean? Yeah, but I, okay. Eddie, I will preface this by saying I love you, so I'm sorry for what I'm about to say. But God damn, you are a pain in the ass because I wish Hendrix would have been alive so I could have saw him live, heard all that music in his 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s. You've been alive, and Jimi Hendrix has released more music than you have the last 20 years. <laughs> right? So it's like, come on. Like, Guns N' Roses makes me feel that way. Van Halen makes me feel that those two could have ruled the 90s and the 2000s when music was struggling and our music was struggling to live. These guys would have been selling out stadiums if they would have just stuck it out. Yeah, but they also might have been, you might get an answer like, so what do you want me to do? Just chunk out a bunch of shit that I'm not happy with just so I can get something out for you. I mean, I don't know if that would be their answer or not, but. But we missed out, right? Like Eddie, and you know, I'm sure he understands his place in history, obviously. And he's the Jimi Hendrix of this generation, really. If you, you know, he's one of those guys. It's just unfortunate we didn't get more output. Yeah, I think he's one that you have vaults full of shit, though. I have a feeling he has vaults and tapes full of shit. It may not be finished, but he's had a kick-ass studio in his backyard for a long, long time now. All right, Stanley Lives For You asks, will you be on M-O-R-C-X? Speak of the devil. Monsters of Rock Cruise. Mr. Hollywood and I were just discussing that at the time of this recording. They are getting ready to release the links to register for the alumni of last year's cruise. And so both Hollywood and I fall into that category. So Hollywood, would you like to answer for yourself? I'm 100% in. already talked to my wife about it. When we left the 2019 cruise, I remember flying back going, why did I not go to 16, 17, and 18? Like, why did I skip those three years? And then I went and looked at the lineup and Vince Neil headlined one year and blah, blah. I'm like, oh, well, could have been life got in the way. Could have been. I was like, eh, eh, I don't know. But after last year, meeting some new friends and to some, it isn't a vacation. To some, including my wife, it was an event. So they needed a vacation from the event. To me, it was a vacation because it is my number one hobby and I get to do it the entire time. And that is vacation for me, even though there's a lot going on. So I'm in. There you go. So at the very least, you're getting 50% of the growing up rock crew on Monsters of Rock 10, which is awesome. For me, it's Still up in the air, but I'm leaning towards not being able to go. And here's the thing. So last year, my wife and I did it. As you know, we've talked about it. We released episodes and it was awesome. I loved it. Loved the people we met. 
podcast blew up. We got so many new listeners. So it was fantastic from start to finish. Loved meeting Sonny's wife and hanging out with those guys. And it was just, I have nothing bad to say about it, but it is not a vacation in the terms of there's never any time to relax. It's kind of start to finish nonstop. You're going to shows nonstop. And I enjoyed it and it was fantastic. And if you're somebody that flies to like an M3 festival or flies to some festival, Rocklahoma, whatever it is, and you spend the weekend and you spend airline tickets and all of that, I would tell you you need to do Monsters of Rock because it ain't that much more expensive when you start doing the math. But it is expensive. And we can't afford to do something like Monsters of Rock and take a vacation in the same year. It's just rough. And so my wife and I, we like to spend time together and take a vacation and take some downtime and just relax. And in order to do that, it means probably not being able to go on the Monsters of Rock next year. Now, I'm not closing the book on it because you never know, but Right now, I'm kind of leaning towards not being able to go, unfortunately. That is fair. All right, David Cathy asks, growing up as a young Pooty or Michaels, <laughs> who were some of your early influences? Uh, David's were the Beatles, Zeppelin, and Kiss. Uh, what were the three that got you into rock and roll? So I was thinking about mine, and really six came to mind, but only four are rock and roll. Uh, Kiss, Maiden, Y&T, Prince, Hollow Notes, and Van Halen. Those were the six that if you were to go back in time and look at what I was watching or listening to between like 86 and 88, uh, which are my years 16, 17, 18, those were the six bands that I was there with. So uh, Y&T, Kiss, Maiden, Prince, Hollow Notes, Van Halen.
Yeah, fair enough. For me, it's a little bit more of a complex answer. I didn't just forge myself into rock and roll. Uh, I grew up with a family that had a bunch of different musical tastes, from the Beatles to Led Zeppelin to Glenn Dorsey, Big Band, all that shit. We had Hee Haw in the house. All this stuff was going on. Lawrence Welk was a big thing in our household as well. But AM radio is really what opened the door for me and rock and roll. I can remember hearing Cheap Tricks, I Want You to Want Me. I can remember hearing at one point Ace Fraley's Back in the New York Groove. I bought the singles for Sheik's La Freak <laughs> and uh, the Bay City Rollers uh, Saturday night. So all these things aren't necessarily hard rock and metal, but they're all kind of opening the door to go down that pathway. Now, in terms of real rock and roll, some of the first things I remember is Pat Benatar's Heartbreaker, huge record with me uh, that really opened the door. And then, of course, Van Halen and Iron Maiden and Judas Priest shoved me down the stairwell with rock and roll early on and they remain in my top 10 bands of all time so there you go all right star pod log podcast asks if you were to travel back in time and tell one artist don't do it what artist and what would you advise them not to do <laughs> kiss don't put out the elder <laughs> wow really <laughs> Wow. Like you wouldn't have said that. Wow. <laughs> I don't know. That's uh that's an interesting question. Like who's uh I guess we have to think of somebody Jimmy, don't overdose. Janice, don't overdose. Yeah. One decision that took him down. Just don't do drugs, kids. We lost some good ones. I mean, seriously, that's really if that if if we're talking seriously, that's that's exactly what I would try to do. I would try to, you know, deter some of the greats from going down the path of drugs and, and losing some great artists who I think would have put amazing stuff out. I would have uh, ramsacked and uh, body slammed, uh, who was it, Hinckley outside of uh, uh, John Lennon's hotel or oh, John yeah. Lennon's uh, apartment building. I would have tried to detour that because who knows what he may have given us over the years, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, you know, another one that comes to mind, I, I would have somehow like slash an axle. Just don't split up. Just stay together. We don't know if we would have got another appetite. We would have, you know, they would have had some great music, I'm thinking. Yeah. So I don't know. That That one's a tough one. And I got to hold on. I got to rewind because I said Hinkley shot Lennon. It wasn't Hink. Hinkley did the Reagan thing. It was oh, Mark yeah. David Chapman that shot Lennon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Just to clarify, because I know people were like going, dude. This isn't a history podcast, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, there you go. Okay, Brad Rustoven asks, what are your five top Canadian bands or artists? Uh, for me? Yep. Russian Triumph are two right up front. Loverboy, that's three. Helix, that's four. And I go back and forth between Kick X and Coney Hatch.
for me, it was Alias, Brian Adams, Loverboy, Triumph, and Slick Toxic. Slick Toxic uh, released a couple albums, really, really yeah. cool albums. But let's go to this. You wanted the best, but you got the best. The hottest band in the world, Kiss! It's time for your historic moment on Growing Up Rock. So for the historic moment, I was going to say Toque, uh, because that's the Todd Kearns and Brent Fitz band that's playing in Canada nowadays. But uh, Todd Kearns, as they call him now, Tall Stanley, also did some uh, vocals for the Kiss Night in Vegas Volume 2. So check this out with Todd Kearns on vocals. Come on and love me. She met me 
All right, right now, our friend Kaylin Provo is probably screaming at you for not playing too. But I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure she was okay with. She's probably okay. She got come on, love me with with uh, Todd Kern singing. So that's probably okay. But I'm I'm willing to bet that poor Caitlin would have rather heard too. But I'm just saying. <laughs> Sorry, Caitlin. All right, so we're going to close out this question episode with a very interesting question from Doug Middleton. And he says, what made Steven stop being a tour manager? (laughs) What makes everybody stop being a tour manager? Too much Jack Daniels, bitches. That's why. (laughs) No, it was never that for me. It was, uh, it was money and getting older is what, uh, did it for me. So I'll try to keep this in a short answer, but the bottom line for me was, I was reaching a certain age and it wasn't like I was in the upper echelon of tour managers. I didn't have my pick of bands that I was tour managing. It wasn't like Kiss and uh, Metallica were calling me every week trying to get me out on the road. I was doing much smaller bands and a lot of times in a van and a trailer. And when you get to a certain age, that just becomes unrealistic. You don't have medical benefits and you don't really have anything to, you know, you don't, I don't have a lot of stuff. So at some point I had to get a real career that had benefits and money and I'm super happy I did. I'm super happy that I got to do that music thing and tour management thing for all those years. I wouldn't change that for the world, but now I have like a 401k and a house and a wife and I'm super happy. (laughs) There you go. Music's a tough business. It ain't what it's always cracked up to be, but I had an awesome time many of those years. So I got to hand it to our listeners. We came up with this question idea thing uh, very last minute, we had another idea, but uh, we liked this idea better. And in less than 24 hours, we got tons of questions, which is just amazing. So want to really appreciate uh, you guys reaching out, and uh, hopefully we answered your questions well. Yeah, this has been fantastic. It was fun for you guys to ask the questions, and I hope you got some of the answers that you wanted, and it was fun for us to answer it. Uh, We're coming up, like we've said before, we're coming up on our 100th episode very soon, and hopefully we'll have a special 100th episode for you, but I think it's time that we did something like this and just hung out and, you know, hopefully you learned a little bit more about Sonny and I. Yep, so shuffle, rattle, and roll. Whose turn is it? Uh, I think it's my turn. I think I will do the shuffle, rattle, and roll. Let's see what we get. So... Until next week, we appreciate each and every one of you guys. Thank you. Please subscribe to our podcast. Please go leave us a review, Podchaser, iTunes, uh, and continue to share our episodes. It's all about continuing to grow the podcast and carry the flag for rock and roll. So until next week. Later. Get ready to shuffle, rattle, and roll. Play us out, boys.
Please make sure you subscribe to our podcast, Growing Up Rock, and leave us a review on iTunes. Give us a like and leave us a comment on Facebook at Growing Up Rock. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.